Good morning. Good morning. Happy Easter. My name uh, is Michael Flake. I'm one of the pastors here. So fun to be together as a church family this Easter morning, both in the Y field and online. As Holly said, whether you are cautious about Jesus, curious about Jesus, or committed to Jesus, there is room for you here. This is a safe place to learn, to grow, and to change. So long as you don't have it all together, you'll fit right in. We would love to pray for you. We hope you'll make a prayer part of your Easter worship by emailing us, by putting a prayer request in the wicker basket on the way out. For giving to be part of your Easter worship, you can, in the field, put gifts in the wicker basket online, lakeforest.org slash give. So today is Easter. Easter is the day on which Christians have traditionally greeted each other with those words first uttered on the day of Jesus' resurrection. The greeting is, He is risen, to which the response is, He is risen indeed. He is risen. You've got it. Today, as every Sunday, we celebrate Jesus' victory on our behalf, that Jesus' victory over our failures and death, Jesus' victory through his life and his death and his resurrection, the God who created this world is reconciling this world to himself through the crucified and resurrected Jesus. Now, if it's your first Sunday with us or you haven't been here in a long time, What you might not know is that in 2021, we are going through a year-long series of sermons looking at the big picture of the Bible. God has been writing a great story in this world from the beginning of time. He is calling us to find our place in it. And so through sermons and optional videos and reading plans, we're trying to make the Bible a little less big and intimidating. But right now, it's still early in the year. We're still early in the Bible. We're at a part early in the Bible where God's people are wandering in a desert being bitten by snakes. That has nothing to do with Easter. And so we're going to skip ahead a little bit. We're going to skip ahead today and remember that the Bible is primarily the story of God's promise to humanity, to this world. And that promise finds its fulfillment in Jesus the Christ. So today's topic is that the promise has been kept, and we are going to use one verse of the Bible to sort of be a Cliff's Notes of the whole thing. The Cliff's Notes, the grand summary of the Bible, is found in John chapter 3, verse 16. If you're in the field, this is on the back of your song sheet. John chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Now, I went to Davidson. I've never used Cliff's Notes in my life. But as you may know, if you've read the book, the Cliff's Notes does actually help you make some connections you might have missed along the way. If you've never read the book, the Cliff's Notes kind of gives you a nice overview of what happened. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. If you're new to exploring the Christian faith, start there. If you've been a Christian since Eisenhower was in the White House, return to those words often. As a follower of Jesus, or if today or in the future you become a follower of Jesus, let us never outgrow, let us never stray far away from the deep grace and the deep truth of John chapter 3, verse 16. The verse starts with God, ends with eternal life, and centers on Christ. 
That wouldn't be so bad a life, would it? Starts with God, ends in eternal life, centers on Christ. So let's look at the context of John chapter 3. John chapter 3 begins by saying, Now there was a Pharisee, a man named Nicodemus, who was a member of the Jewish ruling council. He came to Jesus at night. Nicodemus, Nick to his friends, Nick D during his short-lived rapping career, Nicodemus visits Jesus at night in secret. He was a prominent religious leader. He was eager to ask Jesus some questions. He was eager to learn more about Jesus. He was not eager for people to know he cared that much. He came to Jesus at night and said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher who has come from God. No one could perform the signs you were doing if God were not with him. So Nicodemus can't seem to shake this Jesus guy. Nick has a specific way he expects God to operate, a specific way he expects his his life to unfold. Jesus does not fit into any of that, and yet Nicodemus cannot shake the nagging question, who is this Jesus? He has to be from God, so what do I do? Nicodemus takes the dangerous step of becoming open to change. Changing his view of the world, changing the direction of his life, changing how he relates to Jesus, he takes the dangerous step of becoming open to change. And Jesus replied to him, Very truly I tell you, no one can see the kingdom of God unless they are born again. And that phrase, born again, can also be translated born from above. How do I know that, you ask? How many hours of theological study did I invest in that little insight? I checked the footnotes that the editors had put in the Bible. You too can study the Bible. So Jesus is emphasizing to Nicodemus he needs to be born from above or born again. If you've ever heard that phrase, born again, this is where it comes from, from the context of the great summary of the Bible. You may hear a person refer to themselves, for instance, as, I'm a born-again Christian. And that's a fine phrase to use, but Jesus is also pointing out that's a redundant phrase. It's like saying, I drive a big Hummer. I'm taking a hard class at Davidson. Jesus is saying that to be a Christian is to be born again. To be a Christian is to be born from above. So way summary back, way, way back. Who made the world and everything in it? God, if you've been here for the whole series, you remember that. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. God created the world full of beauty and order. God created human beings in his image, according to his likeness. In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. God knit you together. God knit your value into you. God created you with a deep longing to love God, to live a life that points people to God. But what we also know is that you and I, in fact, all of creation, have been lured into rebelling against God by that ancient serpent, the devil, not the horns and cape caricature, but the being that so opposes God that he's leading a rebellion against God and has lured you and me into it. So in the Bible, in chapter 3 of the Bible, God says to the ancient serpent these words, this is Genesis 3.15, I will put enmity between you and the woman and between your offspring and hers. He will crush your head and you will strike his heel. 
That's part of God's promise, the overarching promise of the Bible. In other words, Genesis 3.15, God says, a champion is coming, a human, the offspring of a woman, a human is coming to do battle with the ancient serpent. And the serpent will wound him, but the champion will be triumphant. The champion will, in fact, defeat, will crush the ancient serpent. And now that champion, the fulfillment of that promise, Jesus, fully God and fully human, born from the womb of his mother Mary, stands before Nicodemus and tells him, Nicodemus, you need to be born again. You need to take the pieces of your broken life and trust them into God's hands so that God might remake you, so that God might make you again, so that God might make you new so that your life will be characterized not by your rebelling against God, but by your reconciliation with God. A life characterized not by rebelling against God, but reconciliation with God. And so Jesus continues, and he says, Just as Moses lifted up the snake in the wilderness, so the Son of Man must be lifted up, that everyone who believes may have eternal life in him. Here, Jesus is referring to a part early in the Bible where God's people were wandering in a desert being bitten by snakes, which has absolutely nothing to... Oh, wait a minute. It's in my Easter sermon. I can't believe it. It's funny how life turns out. Jesus is saying, trust the pieces of your broken life into God's hands. Let God remake you. Let God make you again. Let God make you new that your life would be characterized not by rebelling against God. It's so nice to have the wind in my microphone. That means I'm outside on Easter. So that your life will not be characterized by your rebellion against God, but by your reconciliation with God. Now Jesus is going to layer something on top of that. Jesus tells Nicodemus the new life he's talking about is tied to Jesus being lifted up on a pole like Moses lifted up a snake in the wilderness. Now, Nicodemus is a learned, learned religious leader. He knows the passage Jesus is referring to, but you and I might need the Cliffs Notes. It's from Numbers chapter 21. The Lord said to Moses, make a snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who is bitten can look at it and live. Moses made a bronze snake and put it up on a pole. Anyone who was bitten by a snake looked at the bronze snake and lived. So God's people, this is early in the Bible, they're wandering in a desert. They begin to be bitten by venomous snakes. The serpents would strike their heels before they could crush their heads. They looked to their leader Moses for help. Moses was a murderer. God had put him in charge. But he was not the serpent-crushing champion and yet God showed him what to do. What God told him to do was to make a bronze snake, attach it to a pole. If you've ever seen the symbol of, of modern-day medicine, take a bronze snake, attach it to a pole. If someone is bitten by one of these serpents, they have to decide what to do. Are they going to rely on their own strength to live and pull through? Or will they look up at the bronze snake lifted up on the pole and trust God to give them a new kind of strength? Trust God to help them live. Trust God to help them pull through. The same question is posed to Nicodemus. The same question is posed to you and me. Where will we find the strength to live the lives God desires for us? Will we rely on ourselves? Or will we look to the one lifted up on the pole, trusting him to heal us, trusting him to make us new? And then the conversation takes its famous turn in, chapter, in verse 16. For God so loved the world 
that he gave his one and only son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. Some years ago, there was a young woman in our church family who was exploring the Christian faith, and she was telling me what an impact this specific verse had had on her, and what most impacted her about it were the very first words, that God loves the world. That the God who created her was not bitter, was not vengeful, was not distant, was not disinterested. He's not tame, but he's good, and he so loves the world. Even in the state we find it in today, even in the state we find our lives in today. God so loves the world that he gave. Gave what? An ultimatum? Eight tips to a better you? A treasure map? Gift cards to the Taco Bell? God so loved the world that he... This is the mind-bending, make-or-break claim of the Bible and of the Christian faith. God so loves the world that he gave us himself. The, the God of all creation, wrapped in humanity, Jesus the Christ, called the Son of God and the Son of Man, God so loved the world that he gave us himself. He wrapped himself in humanity, came into our hurting and helpless world. A world in rebellion against its creator, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. So that whoever, 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 not many qualifiers on the word whoever. Whoever believes. Believe is the same as the Greek word for trust or to have faith. So this is not just believing that Jesus was real, that Jesus was a real historical figure, but that believing, trusting, he's actually the hinge point of all history, that Jesus can reconcile us to God, that we can trust our broken lives into his nail-scarred hands, and in his nail-scarred hands, we will be reconciled with God and made new. That we can turn around from the path that leads to destruction, and instead follow Jesus, who is trustworthy and true, into life, abundant, everlasting life, the life that God desires for us. Have you ever pulled around a detour sign? The sign says, road closed, go that way, but you say, no, this is the road I really know. I know it better than the detour. I'm going to stay on this road. Then you go a little while further, and there's another sign that says, road closed, please turn around. But you say, this is the road I know, so I'm going to keep taking it. You go a little further, there's a sign that says, no, seriously, turn around. And you keep going, you keep going. At this point, you're almost intrigued. This sounds like scare tactics. Until you come to a giant sinkhole in the road, and you realize the road is unpassable. And there's just a guy there standing in a neon vest looking at you with eyes that say, dummy, didn't you see all those signs? Am I the only one this has ever happened to? Jesus invites us to be made new. Jesus invites us to quit ignoring the signs in our lives that say, no, seriously, turn around. This road leads to destruction. Please go a different direction. And Jesus invites us to be made new with these words, John 3, verse 17. 
For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but to save the world through him. And Nicodemus didn't know what to do. Nicodemus is a religious leader. Condemnation is his bread and butter. And yet, the God who has every right to condemn against all of us who have rebelled against him says, I'm not here to condemn you. I'm here to save you. The message of Jesus the Christ is not shape up. The message of Jesus the Christ is not shape up. His message is, come to me. If you are weary, heavy burdened, burned out on trying to measure up, Jesus says, come to me. I will remake you. I will make you again. I will make you new. I will reconcile you to God and to your God-given purpose. Trust the pieces of your broken life into my nail-scarred hands. And it does make me wonder if Nicodemus, because Nicodemus was such an accomplished person, it makes me wonder if someone like Nicodemus was ever able to accept Jesus' invitation, not to shape up, but to come to Jesus and to trust him. Well, years later, Jesus made good on his promise to be lifted up. He was nailed to a stick that the Romans called a cross. In his agonizing death, his closest followers abandoned him. Only his mother and her closest friends stayed till the bitter end. As they wept, the Roman officials took Jesus' lifeless body from the cross the serpent had struck and won yet again. And before the officials could throw Jesus' body on a heap of other bodies for buzzards to eat, two men emerged out of the back of the crowd. They had watched this whole thing from a distance. John chapter 19 and verse 38 says this, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly, because he feared the Jewish leaders. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. And these two men carry the body of Jesus to a womb, I mean to a tomb never to be heard from again. And as they did so, Nicodemus must have realized the power of that word, whoever. Whoever. The Jesus game is over. The fans have all gone home. The only two guys are left, and they were unwilling to let anybody else know that they trusted Jesus. They're the two who carry his body to its final resting place. Is that who you would have picked? Kings and queens carefully script out who gets to carry their casket, who even gets to touch their casket. And yet the God of all creation is carried to his final resting place by two people whose faith would only live in the shadows. Jesus really did mean whoever. And I got good news. There is room in whoever for you. You measure up to whoever. Whoever you are, Whatever you've done, with all your questions and all your doubts, with all your hopes and with all your dreams, you're invited to step out of the shadows and join in with whoever. The whoever that has been made new by God. The whoever that is being made new by the God who so loves the world that he gave his one and only son. That whoever believes in him shall not perish, 
but have eternal life. Life, life, life. That's right, life. Speaking of life, on that third day, Jesus walked out of that tomb. Jesus is not dead. He is risen. He is risen indeed. Born again, Nicodemus must have thought. And he started with himself. He went first. He walked out of the tomb and leads a triumphant march into life, into abundant and everlasting life. Jesus leads a triumphant march of whoever. A triumphant march of whoever will follow him, whoever will believe, whoever into abundant and everlasting life. You and everyone you know can be changed in his redemptive wake. You and everyone you know can be made new and transformed in his redemptive wake. You can follow him on this earth and into the life everlasting. He loves you. He desires to walk with you. He desires to make you new. He desires to reconcile you with God and with your God-given purpose. And so my Easter question for you whether you are online or in the field at the Y. My Easter question for you is, what would it mean for you to believe these words deep in your soul? What would it mean for you to believe these words deep in your soul? For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish, but have eternal life. His message is not shape up. His message is come to me. His family is not just for the fortunate few. His family is for whoever believes. Let's pray together. Let me give you a chance to pray, a chance to talk to God, to listen to God about whatever he's stirring up in your heart or in your mind. Just take a quiet moment for personal prayer. Lord, I thank you for each person in our church family. I thank you for each person who's worshiping with us today. And Lord, I pray that we, like Nicodemus, will realize that the word whoever is not an insult. The word whoever is our only chance. That today we will walk away, leave behind a faith that's built on shaping up to embrace a faith that is about coming to you. And Lord, I pray for those of us today who will, for the first time, take that step that Jesus invites us to of being born from above, of trusting the pieces of our broken lives into your nail-scarred hands, believing that hand-in-hand hand with you, we are reconciled to God and that you are remaking us from the inside out. We pray all these things in the name of the one who is risen, who is risen indeed. Amen.
and amen. Let's stand. Let's worship together.